0: You're listening to episode 23 of Langefem, a podcast where I, Alexander Drexel, talk to people at the intersection of language and technology.
1: I couldn't say my R's as a child, which is really unfortunate when your name is Rebecca.
0: This is Rebecca Gorsnell, a voice, accent, and dialect coach, my guest on today's episode.
1: And people don't always know what I do. I mean, uh, sort of say dialect coach, dialogue coach, oh, um, you know, are you... you Helping the actors act. Said, so no, are you are you helping the actors with? So, what what does it mean to help the actors with, with an accent? Um, and that's often hard to to answer.
0: <laughs> Keep listening as I find out what it really is that Rebecca does for a living.
1: Most of your stuff was on um, interpreting, and then mm-hmm. to contact someone who's—I mean, I'm certainly not an interpreter uh, in this in that sense. Um, but to, to to contact someone it's a bit different field, but same, still in communication.
0: Yeah, um, I'm very. I mean, the interpreter has has two meanings, right? And you studied acting, as far as I could tell yeah, from your CV. Yeah, so did. that's that's uh, a way of interpreting too. Actually, it sometimes confuses people when you say I'm an interpreter, and, and they think of like music or acting, and then you say, "No, no, it's about language." So, it's kind of related, I guess.
1: And people don't always know what I do. I mean, uh, sort of say, dialect coach, dialogue coach. Oh, um, you know, are you are you helping the actors act? Said so, no. Are you are you helping the actors with? So, what what does it mean to help the actors with with an accent? Um, yeah, and that's often hard to to answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's true, and and we should definitely touch on that later on. But I think that that was exactly the, the motivation because um, in the podcast I'm I, I'm talking to interpreters and translators a lot, but I also try to talk to people that are somehow related to um, language, I guess. Or in your case, I think it was about the voice stuff. Uh, just very generally, because <clears throat> interpreters are also somehow obsessed about their voice, and they should be because it 's their main uh, i mean something that we really need for our work i mean no voice, no interpreting so i uh, maybe that that 's where the interest came from, and a lot of us also um, have an accent i go not yeah well, an accent when we speak in a foreign language, and maybe we have a dialect in our native language, mm-hmm. and usually <clears throat> you are at least encouraged to uh, get rid of the dialect when you become an interpreter, when you study at university. I mean, you, you don't have to, you know, get rid of it completely. I don't even know if that's possible. But you're trying to achieve a sort of... Um,
1: a non-regional standard. Yes,
0: Because in Germany, we have quite a few uh, strong accents and and some of the accents have a very good reputation when others have not. And the accent from my region does not have a very good reputation, at least not in the whole of Germany. So you would uh, try to get rid of that as much as possible. Are
1: you from the south? Where are you from?
0: I'm from Saxony, so south of Berlin.
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, it's it's been a whole German discovery of of accents while living there. Of sort of okay, this Berlin is very to my ear sounds very harsh um, Mm -hmm. accent, and then you have this southern thing that's a lot more uh, sort of what all my German friends try and say is very sort of stereotypical (laughs) thing, and then Western. So uh, putting my brain around accents in. Uh, German has been very fun the past few months.
0: Yeah, but but did you know a little bit of German before you came to Berlin for this project?
1: You know, I did. I studied I studied German for a year in high school, and mm. I thought, oh, that'll just come rushing back to me, um, which <laughs> it did not. <laughs> okay. Um, but I've uh, picked up. Quite a bit, and I have weird instances where I sit in a room and I listen to the German people around me speaking, especially on set, and I realize that I understand the entire conversation, but I wouldn't know where to begin to speak back to them. Oh, I see. And that's been an interesting uh, process because I'm used to being in a different country. I'm used to being in France, and then in France I can speak uh, French, so I'm used Mm -hmm. to be able to navigate another country. A foreign country in a foreign language, so to be in a foreign right. country and not fully be able to navigate the foreign language is uh was tough at first, and then kind of bizarre when I started to the German did start to come back to me but i I still have uh moments of of okay am i speaking german or French <laughs> or yeah I'm very confused. Yeah.
0: That's actually, that happens a lot to interpreters, that we sort of, uh A, mix up the languages, and then we don't really remember which language we're actually speaking right now, and secondly, that we get very frustrated when we go to a foreign country and we cannot communicate in the language that people speak there, because... um We often go to the countries where we speak the language. So we're used to that. And when we can't do that, that's really frustrating. So I absolutely get that. (laughs) But you said that you studied German in high school. Where where did you grow up in the US?
1: Uh, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. So right smack dab in the center of the country. Um, Although admittedly, my accent right now is definitely not um, of that area.
0: (laughs) It's not very southern, no.
1: It's not even quite American, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> I I listen to myself on voiceover recordings and I think, oh no, I sound Canadian, which slightly scares me in a way. <laughs> but I have all of this this British influence, um, yeah, along with the American, and I I feel like I'm in this catch twenty two, and that when I'm in the U S. I say something and then people uh, – I was at a lunch and I said something, oh, that was quite good at the end. My friends went, oh, oh that was quite good, you know. <laughs> I'm so posh. I live in London. And yeah. then I come back here and my friends in the UK make fun of me and they say, like, oh, my God, whatever. They hmm. don't sound like that. So I feel <laughs> like I'm, I have a an accent that doesn't belong anywhere really and uh, that is very bizarre.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so interesting to to see that. I mean, that this mutual fascination that exists or has been existing for a while now, I guess, between the UK and the US, um, and we'll we'll talk about that later on. I think uh, because British TV is so popular in the US right now. Uh, on the other hand, there's a certain fascination among the British with uh, American culture, I guess. They're also very obsessed of American words seeping into their language. So it's very interesting to just to watch that, I think. And I suppose you have that almost on a daily basis, basically.
1: Yeah, Um I, I do think it's it's interesting that this kind of shared thing – and I – one reason – I don't know. This isn't really language-based, but one reason I enjoy living in the U.K. versus I had uh, spent uh, a bit of time in France is I feel like the U.K. is this weird middle ground between Europe and the U.S., and they borrow a lot of things from the US and the US obviously inherited a lot from the UK. So I feel like mm. I'm I'm not quite when I'm in Europe, when I'm in Germany, when I'm in France, I feel very much uh European. But here I feel like there's this definite British thing and um it's I'm I'm not fully foreign. I'm like a weird cousin that, <laughs> who lives in this country. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I think I see what you mean. (laughs) So uh, you grew up and and you went to school in the US. Do you remember when you came to the UK for the first time?
1: Yeah, I came to the UK for the first time um, to to visit or to live. To visit was um, in 2013, I want to say. And mm-hmm. then to live it was two thousand and fourteen when I was studying for my master's at Central.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The Central School of Speech and Drama. Yeah.
0: Was that in was that the one in Wales? No, no. Or
1: the, the, other one. the Central School of Speech and Drama is in uh London. It's in Northwest London.
0: Okay. Okay. Um so so that's when you when you came to the UK to to uh study. And and you had been to college before in the US?
1: Yeah, I did my undergrad in um, I studied Theatre. I studied acting um, in in Chicago mm-hmm. at Northwestern University.
0: Okay, and you you said you did spend a little bit of time in France as well. Was that also for um, education for studying?
1: Yeah, that was purely for me. My you know romantic fascination with France and to attempt to learn French. Um, mm. And I did I did I did learn quite a bit of French. I don't feel like I really learned French until um, I started. Dating a man who I'm still with, uh, who is French, that's when I feel like I really learned French.
0: <laughs> and that's always the best reason to to properly learn a foreign language, yes, isn't it? With the, yeah.
1: with someone who is you're you're very interested in. Yeah,
0: yeah it's certainly it's, a big motivator. It's a motivator, certainly. Yeah. Absolutely. Um I saw I think on your website that you call yourself a lover of all things Shakespeare. Was was that already in school or did you more or less discover that when you came to the UK or where did that what did that come from?
1: I think that came from undergrad actually. I studied Shakespeare in in school and it was like everyone reading a Shakespeare book going I don't understand this at all. Why are we <laughs> reading this right now? And Mm -hmm. then I got to undergrad and had a wonderful teacher, uh, Linda Gates, and then also my acting teacher, Don Mora, who finally explained how you could kind of lift Shakespeare off the page and make it really real and modern and of the moment. And Mm -hmm. that's when I went, okay, this is this is cool.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, my wife actually had a, a similar experience. She spent one year at, uh, at a U.S. college, a Kenyan college, and she had an excellent uh, Shakespeare teacher, basically, and that's really where her love for Shakespeare came from. So it, it can make a huge uh, difference, I think, because otherwise it's just uh, I think there's a risk that you just find it boring and old and you don't see the point, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's hard to slog through on the page, but then... Maybe it's about seeing also a really good Shakespeare production where you're saying, okay, I I understand everything that's going on, even though I Mm -hmm. don't speak in this type of verse language. (laughs) But – or, yeah, experiencing it for yourself in terms of acting of going, wow, this is – this makes sense and is is alive and it's not this few hundred-year-old writing on a page. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So would you say that it was Shakespeare or the love for his plays that um, set you on the path to this, uh, to, to studying acting and getting into that sort of career?
1: In terms of acting, I was a very dramatic child. <laughs> I, <laughs> okay. I um, would always put on little plays and direct plays <laughs> with the kids in my neighborhood. And I would, um, I was very into the school plays at school and um uh yeah, that was that was that. I just loved theater and I loved performing. Um mm-hmm. and that I think that was really where I went to study acting. But I think that my my voice stuff came from a much different place. I actually when I was little, I couldn't say my Rs as a child, which is mm-hmm. really unfortunate when your name is Rebecca. Yes. And so I immediately <laughs> was put into some sort of speech language therapy
0: and I, I hated
1: it and I remember having yeah. to sit there and say words like red and right and just all oh, of the r oh. sounds just over and over and over and I really hated it and I then I m- sort of moved on with my life great I can say my r's now this is maybe I was like seven years old okay and then went to undergrad and in acting, when you study acting, you have an acting class, you have a movement class, you have a voice class. And I was really good in the voice class for some reason. Um, I could just hear mm-hmm. everything that was going on. And I really think that was because I was forced to sit at seven and eight years old and really actually listen to what my, what I was making in terms of sound.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, because that's that's what you do now. I mean, we haven't explicitly said it, but you're a, a voice coach, an accent uh, coach. So so was there a moment uh, where you said, well, that's what I want to do as a career, uh, where you said that maybe that's even more interesting, or I don't know, uh, spoke to you more than a traditional acting career, which can also be very, very hard and, and, and very difficult, I think.
1: I think it was slowly as I was studying acting, I kept taking the the voice classes and um, really enjoying them. And then I sort of slowly quit acting in undergrad in terms of, you know, you audition every term for uh, – Right. Uh, different plays. And I sort of quit auditioning and ended up just offering myself. uh, That sounds weird, but ended up offering (laughs) myself to say, okay, I I would love to be a voice coach on your, your productions. And Mm -hmm. they slowly, the directors either wanted accent work. They had been just letting their actors kind of roam free in terms of that, or they wanted, yeah, voice coach, and at that point, when I was working on productions, I really loved it. I loved the process. I loved. I loved. I found that I loved working with actors more than I enjoyed being an actor. Hmm.
0: Interesting. And and I think when when normal people just hear that voice, they think, "Well, it's obvious." I mean, you open your mouth and you you speak. Um. But of course, there's there's much more to that. And I suppose even even during uh, your uh, classes, you already had voice coaching. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means, working on your voice when you're trying to become an actor?
1: That's a good question. That's a lot. Uh, There's a lot. in. Yeah,
0: maybe just first on on a general level, so we can have sort of an idea. I mean, it's obvious to people who use their voice a lot, but maybe it's less obvious for people who, who don't, because speaking involves much more than just opening one's mouth and, you know, making sounds, if you know where I'm In terms
1: of studying voice for acting, and then I think this extends to voice for life when you're working on Mm -hmm. your voice, but particularly with acting, I think it's trying to find this very connected voice in your body so that your voice can respond to anything that's coming at you. Uh, Mm -hmm. When I say that, I mean that your voice can take on any character that you're trying to play, so you have this range. And your voice is flexible in terms of um, b- b- being stamina in terms of projection in terms of of uh, eight shows a week keeping that up. and I think mm-hmm. that as well uh, there's this connection to your body and your body is. Acting, your body becomes the character, so the voice also needs to become the character. Just mm-hmm. so kind of this, yeah, threefold thing of of training the voice in terms of acting. And then again, when you're training, working with someone who calls up and says, "Listen, I, I just don't like the sound of my voice," um, right. it's the same thing of of okay, we need this connected voice in the body, and we also need a voice that has s- stamina and uh, yeah i think that's what that's what we're working on with clients in terms of training the voice
0: hmm. and i would imagine for actors it maybe it was even more important back in the days when there was no cinema but just theater because a theater is a big place and you want to make sure that everyone in the audience can hear you <laughs> probably is is that what you are referring to as projection so make, making sure your voice Gets out without necessarily having to scream, right? Exactly. Or speak very loudly. Exactly.
1: It's this this power under your voice, which is all about. uh, We talk about support, which is a a, what is support? But it's this being able to. I'm going to use the word support now, but being able Mm -hmm. to support your voice in a way that is um, healthy. So it's coming from a a muscular place and not some place that is tense. You're not tensing your vocal folds. You're not. Uh, your larynx is not tight and pushing. There's a, it's coming from a, a breathing and muscular place underneath your sound.
0: Yeah, I find that extremely interesting because I, I did a lot of music when I was in school and I had singing lessons as well where we went exactly into that. So the support and using your voice in a healthy way, which is very important if, if you're using your voice a lot because otherwise you can do a lot of damage. Um, to your voice as well so i i I suppose that that also plays a role in your coaching
1: yeah absolutely on the other hand we also work a lot with release uh in voice i know that i had to work a lot with release Mm -hmm. in in studying the voice uh over time i guess you know we our voices take on i hate to say trauma but we take on sort of the world around us and and it's hmm. i was very quick when i got anxious and nervous to kind of go up here and my voice would uh, my larynx would kind of close up and to get my point across mm-hmm. um but then finding that kind of lower more grounded place in the voice that still has strength that's almost hmm. a release uh as well as a support
0: and that's related uh, related to confidence as well, right? Because there are a few, um, I guess, conceived ideas uh, relating to how women speak and how men speak and about confidence and making yourself um, understood or or trying to, you know, cut through the noise, if you will. Um, Do you work on that as well with your clients? So sort of the confidence, uh, speaking in public, speaking in a professional context?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's one of the most nerve-wracking things is to get up and stand in front of a group of people and just speak. It's Even to this day, for me, it's absolutely nerve-wracking. But there are techniques that we can use to um, ground a person, and then hmm. you know where your voice is going with, with the thought, and uh, then you're a much more powerful speaker.
0: Yeah, and there are great techniques that you can use, like proper uh, breathing, for example, to really calm down a little bit and focus. And I always found that very, very helpful. So that's that's certainly uh, things that are good to know. Um, there, There is a, a bit of a thing with interpreters where, where some of us, um, at least some of the time, we always keep translating things in our head when we listen to people. And I was wondering if you have something similar, like the professional ear, if you find yourself not being able to turn that off. So when you listen to people who speak, um, in an unhealthy way with their voice, or people who have a lot of vocal fry, <laughs> which is a bit of a thing with people. Um, do you find yourself in those situations where you listen to that and say, oh, "That's not how you should do it," or you should be more careful with this and that?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's well, and it's kind of bad actually. Earlier, I was listening to some documentaries on YouTube that were just kind of playing in the background, and there was this woman being interviewed, and I just couldn't listen. She kept going up with her voice at every at the end of every sentence. And yeah. eventually it was getting on my nerves and I just had to turn it so him.
0: irritating. Yeah.
1: So that does happen that I get really frustrated. I had um, – when I was living in Chicago, I took a Pilates class and the woman had a very big Chicago accent. The Chicago accent is very nasally. And mm. she said, um, "She said actually, if you want a challenge, you can pull up on the bar. And I went, oh, God, I can never come back here again.
0: so I I do
1: think that I have this thing and you know the other the other issue is is that I'm constantly trying to guess where people are from and it Mm -hmm. bugs the people I'm with to no end I'm either put bets on it and have other people bet on it and then and then I'll ask them or what annoys the people I'm with is I'll just outright ask them and they're you know they say stop bothering these poor people on the street but yeah. it is this. Hey, um, where are you from? Oh, can I can I record your accent? You have such a an amazing, you know, example of a of a Belfast accent. I just I really need it for my collection.
0: <laughs> That's almost obsessive. I mean, it can seem obsessive to people, but I completely understand. Yeah, and we do, uh, interpreters do similar things. So tr- when people speak English, let's say with an accent, we're trying to guess what their mother tongue is or we're trying to guess where people come from so yeah yeah i completely get get yeah i was
1: in a jazz club in berlin and we had a i was with my boyfriend and then there was this other couple one of which was no they both one was polish and one was american and Mm. we had a server who had an amazing british accent and they said i said i bet that she's from germany but she just has a really great british accent and the other person's (laughs) the other group said no absolutely not she's definitely from england and we Mm. went and asked and she said i'm (laughs) from germany but i just have a really great british accent wow yes i've won (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's hilarious (laughs) um yeah because that's the the other part of your work i think is accent and dialect coaching um can you describe a little bit what that entails what 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 you would typically work on when you do that kind of accent or dialect coaching work?
1: I think the first thing in terms of accent and dialect coaching is starting from the script. So you get the script and you look at the script and you go, okay, who is the character that the actor is playing? And that's taking into account gender, socioeconomic status, class, education, uh it's a huge range of of things to look at. So you kind yeah. of become this dramaturg anthropologist. And then from there, once we figured out, okay, this is the character, it's about going in and that's when the anthropologist becomes comes out is going in and finding the different accent samples. So it's either going there's a great website called uh, oh goodness is escaping me uh, it's the idea yeah idea, international dialects of English archives um, or through vasta there's an amazing group of people you I was looking for a, a Chechen word recently and could not find Ooh. it at all, and I went through okay. and I called a bunch of. Restaurants and none of them were actually Chechen. They were f- from the area, but not Chechen. They had no idea what the word was. Half of them didn't <laughs> want to talk to me, to be honest. Okay. Um, but in any case, you go through Vasta and you can ask people. Sometimes people have collections. Uh, so it's about doing a bit of research, finding uh, samples of what you really want the actor to sound like. And then I do basically an accent breakdown so it's almost every sound in the, I would assume they're speaking English every sound in the English mm. language of what that sound in that accent is um, so oh. are we pronouncing an R are we oh. pronouncing a th are we pronouncing um, are we pronouncing an L or is it an L um, we mm. pronouncing uh, I mean it, it gets yeah are we pronouncing H's how is the a sound? How is the e sound It changes through every accent? So it's just really nailing down what is this accent From there with actors, what I like to do is create sentences um, that really challenge the actor from their native accent into the uh, the accent that we're going for. And so they can start mm. nailing down the the different sounds in connected speech. So we're not just going from a place of, okay, here's the accent breakdown. Um, you don't pronounce an R in your accent, but in this accent, we're going to pronounce an R. So we're getting it right. in connected speech in a sentence. Um, the car was red and <laughs> I don't know, I'm just making things up at this point, but you get what I'm saying. We, yeah
0: like back in the day when you had to do those exercises yeah and they oh, become
1: no. they <laughs> literally become exercises a la the king's yeah. speech we sit there and we drill these sentences we drill the sounds um, we, I, I always attempt to try and get the actor to speak without you know the text in front of them sometimes they're a bit wary of that but then mm. eventually we go straight to the text and start applying that to the script So what is nice is that normally they have this, it's not fully a fully improv show. So we have this um, text that then we can start really sculpting into the accent.
0: Hmm. Did you enjoy the King's speech? I suppose you saw the movie.
1: Yes, I did. Yeah, it was great. It was funny. You know, you recognize Hmm. parts of yourself and then you cringe. Um, (laughs) And... And in terms of of theater work, when, when I work, you know, with theater, it's everything has to be perfect before opening night. And then with mm. TV film, it, I go in in between takes, which is also funny because I have about 60 seconds to give a note. And inevitably, yeah. I'm just yelling the word hummus at an actor as they, as they prep for the next scene so That's they hilarious. they kind of know what i'm talking about by that point because we prep right. so much but it's the everyone around on a film set finds my job absolutely hilarious of wh- what <laughs> in the hell is this is this lady doing yelling hummus to this actor yeah.
0: Where's the hummus coming from? Right. That was just
1: a line that the 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 Brits say hummus, and the Americans say hummus. So it was in a line. It's a very odd, (laughs) random line. And I went in and I just yelled hummus, hummus. (laughs) The the first assistant director about lost it because he's he's like, this is I'm surrounded by crazy people. Excellent.
0: I'm. Um, I'm wondering. Do you do you get to shape the character a little bit with the accent, or I mean, do you do you do a little bit of consulting, or do they tell you we want that? Please give it to us and and train that person to say that.
1: Um, I try and stay out of the acting as much as possible, to be honest. Mm. Um, in terms of shaping the sound, I the closest I get in terms of getting into the acting bit is really kind of getting into the melody the natural rhythm and melody of the accent which often leads to the the rhythm and melody of the people that speak it so in that sense there is a bit of characterization of of um, kind of the natural rhythm and melody of a british accent is of a standard Mm. british bbc accent is much different than the rhythm and melody of an american accent and so naturally through that something in a character is going to come out. Right. Um, But no, I try, I'd really try not to touch the acting because I feel like that's the actor's job. Um, I will, in terms of dialogue coaching a show, uh, we then also look at the script and something like a television show is being written um, pretty much at the same time as you're working on it. And in that sense, myself and the actor can look at a script and go, okay, this line it's not working for us in terms of character or in terms of accent um, hmm. and then can go to the writer and say can we change this line so I would say that so no I don't get involved in the acting
0: okay uh, just a random question do you have sort of a favorite accent if that's not a strange question Ooh,
1: to that's tough well my favorite accent to listen to is definitely a dublin irish (laughs) which is so specific it's just so lovely and and um kind of rolls off the tongue and into the ears and is is i don't know fills me with lots of joy right now i'm working with a third assistant director and he is from outside of belfast and that's lovely as well so kind of general irish but obviously southern irish is much different than northern irish um sure uh in terms of American accents, I know I don't really have a favorite that's hard, but in terms of American accents, um I love the that New York sound. I have a lot of friends from New York, and although they don't have the accent, their parents do and it's it's just so lovely to be hear that it's it's in your face, it's bold, it knows what it wants um, <laughs> and so I think those are maybe my two favorite English accents um accents in english english mm. but i I do, I do like a good kiwi as well <laughs> so i'm right. really yes. i'm really so <laughs> so torn i don't think i have a favorite no
0: okay that's fair enough i'm just wondering because in the uk accent is always so linked to so closely linked to social status and i'm wondering if if there's anything similar in the us is there a different perception of different accents
1: Mm, there's a saying in the South that's um, uh, just because I talk slow doesn't mean I think slow. But right. yeah, I, that. <laughs> uh, I don't I, – it's not quite as wrapped up as it is here in in the UK. Hmm. Uh, still, though, I did read an article in the New York Times a few years ago about uh, New Yorkers who had that sort of typical New York accent trying to soften the accent – so there is a certain stigma in certain areas of of okay, a, a traditional New York accent would be deemed a bit more working class, um, and I think that that Southern comes with its own set of connotations. But I think that they're more um, cultural than um, cultural than class, if that makes sense. True. Sure, yeah. You can be in incredibly wealthy and have a southern accent you could be uh yeah i think it's less so but but there no there is a a presence of it i wouldn't write it off completely
0: (laughs) yeah okay um what i would like to talk about next is uh, you have on your website in your blog uh, a post that is called a day in the life and uh, in, insofar as you can share information about this, this project, maybe you can describe a little bit what your work looks like sort of on a typical day as a voice and accent coach. And the, the project that you're working on right now, I think, is is called Berlin Station. Maybe tell us a little bit about what that what that is or what it's going to be.
1: Yeah, Berlin Station. It's an upcoming <clears throat> TV show that's going to be on the, uh, I guess we can kind of platform channel called Epic's. Just kind mm-hmm. of a hybrid between a channel and kind of a Netflix on demand service. And it's okay. one of their first, first original programming. So they originally did mostly playing showings of films and, and other shows. So this is one of their first original programming and it's about CIA, American CIA officers set in Berlin. So that's, the project itself the in terms of my day in a life um changes every day but i'd say on the whole i get picked up um which is very generous because i don't live in berlin and Mm -hmm. i go get to the studio and i have a bit of time with the actors beforehand and we run over the stuff that we're going to do today that we'd normally already prepped that week or maybe the week before, we do like a big prep of, of what's coming up. So me getting in, it's definitely not the first time that they've seen the text with me. And it's not the first time they've seen the text because they're usually already memorized and everything going in. So we just go over. I hear it again before we get on set. I say do a few little tweaks here and there. And uh, after that... We get on set and I go to the sound people. I get my headphones and put on my headphones. That's how I hear the actors because they're mic'd. And I go and I sit Mm. by a monitor and I watch. And I take notes after each rehearsal, after each take, um, go in after takes if the actor needs help or, or not correct hummus stuff hummus exactly (laughs) normally i say a bit more than that but if it's if it's a very quick turnaround and i have all of 10 seconds then it's just going to be hummus Um, (laughs) (laughs) but and then after the scene i go up to the script supervisor and i say okay um from that camera angle the best was take five you could also use take four so she's getting the notes as well, in terms of which are which are the best uh, the best takes. and then that's basically kind of do that all day, prep scripts that are coming out. so we may be filming episodes seven and eight, and but episodes nine and ten have come out, so then I'm going in with the actor and prepping with them through that as well, reading them, prepping, doing any research that I need to be doing uh hmm. so yeah that's kind of the day the day in the life
0: and in this case did you did you work with several of the actors involved in the project or are you in charge of only one person how has I'm working with two actors two okay yeah. um and and you said that uh you also give notes on the on the takes um let's say the the director said this was a good take let's keep that can can you jump in and say no <laughs> uh and maybe say no maybe it wasn't perfect from your point of view
1: um i would only say no to the director if it was really really terrible <laughs> uh the, when i say terrible i mean like maybe an actor completely flubbed a line Um, And Hmm. for whatever reason, the director didn't notice. Normally, the director notices. I only think I've stepped in one time and said, listen, you cannot take that take. Um, (laughs) Okay. But normally, when the director says, great, I like it, and maybe it's not the best for me, I know that we have something called ADR, which is, I always get the acronym incorrect, but Automatic Dialogue Replacement, that's what they or uh, okay. another place says it's additional dialogue replacement. Or some people say it is automated dialogue replacement. <laughs> so there's a lot. No one quite knows, it seems, even on the internet. Automated dialogue replacement. Okay. So I, d- I do know mean? that I can go up to the script supervisor and I can say, uh, if they take that, it needs to go into ADR. And she'll write that down and... Uh, they'll adr it later
0: and that what what does that mean uh, is it sort of dubbing later on
1: yeah so in an adr session actually i love adr sessions. very cool um you're in a sound recording booth as in like doing voiceovers um and they send to the uh, recording studio the final cut version of the project of the TV or film series. No, TV series or film, rather, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they send a list of things that need to be, quote, ADR'd, a list of lines. And it is basically dubbing over what they said originally. So we just go in and we fix, let's say, they needed to say... um headquarters and the actor in the line said headquarters. And so we go in and the actor literally says the line over by saying, oh, we need to call headquarters and we get that in. And um, yeah, it's just slots. It's just, they basically dub right over it. It's very easy.
0: I think it's so amazing that they can do that without us noticing because I sometimes, in the, in this very small context of podcasting, um, it sounds different every time I do it. And of course, I'm not a trained expert. But I, just to say that I find it amazing, amazing that that's actually feasible <laughs> and that you, we don't notice the difference. A,
1: a sound guy was talking about massaging in the sound. right? So <laughs> they can kind of massage around it. And one thing is, is because they do have the actual um, image they have the the scene playing, and the actors watching themselves do the scene, and they're they're talking with the mouth talking. So it's it's <laughs> some it is bizarre, but they're they're able to really get it kind of perfect, which is very cool.
0: Okay, um, do you know when Berlin Station will be out for people to see? It?
1: My understanding is October of this year, October two thousand sixteen.
0: And that's probably, uh, it's a U.S. network or a, a U.S.? At the
1: moment, yes. Oh, um, okay. I haven't heard anything about U.K. or other international release. But we have, um, we're have we partly being produced by uh, Babelsberg 36, which is a, oh, a German production company. So I assume that it would be eventually released in Germany as well.
0: Looking forward to it. Excellent. Um, So maybe to to, uh, finish things off, I was wondering if if you have like maybe one or two uh, good tips that you rely on in your work. And it could be anything about voice or accent or maybe a a good um, secret recipe that you have against sore throats, you know, that kind of thing, if there's anything that you could share or maybe a good app for, um, you know, working on your voice or something like that.
1: I would say, okay, my two tips. One, breathe out. That is something that I have to remind myself almost every day. Um, mm-hmm. I, we tend to get very uh, into what we're doing and then anxious, and we tend to breathe in, like I need more air. But instead, mm-hmm. we can just breathe out. And then that tends to be a grounding mechanism for our body and our voices. Breathe out, allow the breath back in. And then it's almost, for me, it's like I've reset Uh, in terms of, oh, there's so many good things to say. Um, I would say a really good, just doing a vocal warm up in the morning, even if it's the, the 10 minutes that you're in the shower and you're just singing to yourself and bopping around in the shower. But there's something to be said about actually warming up your voice in the morning to send yourself off on the day. I mean, we stretch before we work out. Uh, but we don't think to stretch our voice before we're going to use it for hours at a time. So, making that really a priority is something for anyone who's a professional voice user or otherwise to to do is is invaluable.
0: And that could be singing, or do you have maybe a, one or two typical exercises that would that people would use?
1: Um, singing in the shower is good. Obviously, maybe not immediately just right when you wake up going for the high belt. But I Mm. tend to do a bit of breathing exercises in the shower um, in terms of breathing and then going one, one, two, one, two, three, four. So you're breathing in between each and you're getting up to 20 or 25. So you're trying to extend your uh, length of uh, supporting yourself in breath Uh and speech. And then I like to do a lot of humming Humming is great. It gets you on voice. It's safe. Um, It's kind of hard to push your push your voice over the edge with humming. Um, That's right. Doing a bit of of voicing while moving. So if you, I like doing down dogs, sort of sun salutation yoga movement while humming or doing on a on a v which is a v sound or a z which is a z sound um is really good so Mm -hmm. getting your body connected to your voice while in movement and it really wakes you up and then lastly yeah i think singing is great really um singing in the shower is is great gets you on into range getting your range up we tend to to spend so much time just speaking in one little area of our voice so being able to access the high notes and the low notes is is great
0: and it's very entertaining and it's very entertaining perfect yes (laughs) yeah that was very useful (laughs) thank you very much Rebecca. thank you (laughs) i had such a great time talking to rebecca if you too enjoyed this conversation, let us know. You can find her on gorsnell.com, that's g a u s n e l N-E-L-L.com and on social media. More details are in the show notes for this episode. You never know when you need an accent or dialect code, right? This podcast can be found at www.langfm.audio, on iTunes, and in pretty much any podcast app. That's also where you can listen to earlier episodes or subscribe so you won't miss any future conversations. Tell your friends about it or even leave a rating or a review. That's it for now. I would love for you to listen in again. Talk to you next time.